0: This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're supporting new mamas. in episode number 101. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. The tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com. And I am really excited to be here recording episode number 101. It's pretty amazing to me still that I have crossed over into three-digit episodes. And I hope, like I said last week, that you'll be listening strong on through the next 100. With that, I'm really excited today that I have a guest on the podcast. Ariana is here, and she's going to share some great tips with us for handling that transition from being pregnant... To becoming a new mom, how we can handle that, what we can do and think about practically, and also what we can look at from maybe a social perspective. How do we support new moms in this transition? What are some models that are working for helping moms? And I think basically you're going to get a practical idea and you're going to get some broad inspiration. With that, let's jump in and hear what Ariana has to say.
1: Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com. I am excited today to have a guest on the podcast. Today, I have Ariana Caboada. She is a maternal health researcher and a social worker with expertise in postpartum planning and in social support during early motherhood. She's spent the past few years working with moms in a clinical setting, as well as lecturing at conferences, universities, and for nonprofits internationally. Now, she's also a new mom, which has brought her a very unique perspective as her professional and personal lives have collided. So welcome to the show, Ariana.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
1: Cool. All right. So first, can you share a little bit more, like in your own words, about your journey into maternal health research? How did you get interested in that field? I mean, I'm interested in hearing that. And then, of course, a little bit more of your life as a mom.
2: Sure. Well, I, I started out my work um, more more generally in reproductive health and, and women's health um, as a health educator and was working as a health educator in, in clinical settings um, for about six years. And then I couldn't decide if I wanted to go into research or if I wanted to continue working in, in clinical settings um, and found a graduate school program that allowed me to do both. So I ended up... Um, Doing a, a dual degree at the University of, of North Carolina in social work and um, a second master's degree in maternal and child health. Um, so it turned out I, you know, I could be in the field um, and and also um, be learning how to um, how to do research that was very practical and applied research. Um, so about services about um, about women's experiences in in healthcare and in maternal healthcare um and I did 3 years of training with um, the federal government there the maternal and child health bureau has some great training programs that um, for a wide variety of health professionals social work in my case um, teaches us how to collaborate with other types of health professionals um you know I've learned how to how to work with everyone from pediatricians um, to developmental psychologists and and everything in between Um, and now of course as a mom I I run into into a lot of those professionals um, at you know well baby visits um, and it has definitely been interesting learning you know taking so much of what I learned from a professional perspective and figuring out how to apply it in real life.
1: (laughs) Yeah I mean I just I really think that's fascinating because that's I mean, that's one of the things, like, I kind of think about because especially with my first three babies, I was, you know, living well below the poverty level and just, so there was a lot of interaction with, like, social services because that was my support system. And even now, I mean, when I think about serving the women that I'm working with, it's like trying to think about what is out there in the greater community as a whole and what's going on with helping them advocate for themselves and for their babies, to their care providers, So I guess... I just, I find that really fascinating. It's so cool that, you know, you were actually able to, like, like jump into that and look into that. And it's good to hear that they're, like you were talking about the federal government program. I didn't even know that that was out there. So, you know, that there are obviously other people who are concerned about helping moms do this. That's really cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, like you just touched on, one of the things that that's so interesting is that, you know, there's a small, there is very small budget for for maternal health in the U.S. Um, And there's kind of these support systems that exist at a very basic level of vulnerability. So if you're low income and you know how to navigate the system, you can probably find some support. But for a lot of, I would say for most moms, it's, you know, there's no real network that's easily, easy to navigate, easy to access, affordable, and kind of there for you when you have your baby, which is so unfortunate.
1: Yes. It is. Now, so, like, one of the things that you are really focusing on now is this postpartum transition, this time when a, when a mom needs to get plugged into this support. And I really, I mean, like I said, I think about it a lot, but I honestly believe that this is something that a lot of women don't really think much about, I think that we kind of assume that everything's gonna be rosy once the baby gets here because like as soon as you get the pregnancy test, everything is about the baby, the baby, the baby, the baby, and we just don't really think past okay, I've got the baby, now what? But um, you know, and then and when like moms think, well whatever the tough stuff is, whatever that might be, like the baby blues or postpartum depression or financial troubles or marital issues or anything. They just think, Well that's not gonna to happen to me. So I mean, why is it so important that we actually talk about this whole transition into motherhood.
2: I mean, I, you hit the nail on the head on a lot of stuff. The, the focus shifts away from the mom directly after the baby's born. Yet, there's still so many changes going on for for women. Um, and the I mean transition being the key word is that we're you know from one day to the next, even though our baby's suddenly here, it's not like overnight we know you know how to be moms or how to be the kind of moms we want to be or how to kind of process the experience of being a mom um so quickly yeah. and so having like having tools to make that um life transition more of a process and something that we can. Um, deal with actively, either thinking about it, um, talking about it, uh, even having more kind of just general conversations and a culture around that this is a transition and it is um, a major life event that isn't, um, you know, isn't easily, perf- you're not going to, you know, all of a sudden with a snap of a finger know exactly exactly what to do and how to do it. Um, yeah. and yeah. And it can be tough.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I like that, you know, that this is, you know, it's a transition. And I think, I think that's important. Okay, so what, what are some of the like challenges that moms might have? Or the, even, even moms that you've worked with, what, ha, what kind of challenges are they facing postpartum with this whole transition and this change?
2: Well, we can kind of think of it as like layers of an onion, um, and you know our our medical model tends to think of the physiological layer. So, what's the change changes going on in your body? And you might be um, facing, you know, anything from perennial <laughs> issues um, to mm-hmm. C-section healing, or just general, you know, milk production. Um, the kind of the the real life aches and pains of just having had a baby. Um, yeah and then there's also I mean there's also the mental and emotional layer um, which spans so much everything from hormonal things that might be impacting um, your your mental state to um, some of things like identity shifts if you you know were working full time and really enjoyed your work and now you're not working, um, that can be a major a major challenge um, and and also the layer that we i I think don't think too much about is is the social layer. So, you know, what does this mean for my interactions with friends? What does this mean for supports that I have in my community or that I lack in my community? Um, and and resources more at the at the social level.
1: Okay. Yeah, and I just yeah, and I think that's just, there's so much going on that you know, just the sheer volume of the changes and how it impacts every level of your life is a big thing. So what do we as moms do to help us prepare for all of these major transitions?
2: I mean, I do think that there's, you know, a small little niche of folks, maybe like you and me, who are um, really have their head in this space of how can we better support moms during this this period. And so, you know, there's there are now some, you know, Postpartum doulas are, uh, I think, a major support system that that have come into the arena and provide a lot of moms um, with support during this time. Folks like professionals yeah. like lactation consultants. Um, you know, the 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 run of the mill kind of six week postpartum doctor visit doesn't do a whole lot. So I think yeah. if you're <laughs> if you're pregnant and listening to this, um, thinking beyond. Um, like my doctor visit postpartum and then thinking a little bit about, well, who are the people besides my doctor who I might need to lean on during that time? Um, and if you realize, you know, I don't, I want some support and I don't have a lot of people around me looking into, well, who are the professionals who could help fill that gap or who are some friends who I could help, you know, rally for, for some um, hot meals after giving birth. Simple things yeah. like keeping yourself fed, keeping yourself sane, keeping yourself, Um, you know, head above water type things. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, and I think,
1: you know, what you said about the postpartum is is it's it's really interesting to me because I've had my babies with midwives, and and my midwife up here, she even does, she does like a two-week visit, so right after you have the baby, she comes back like 24 hours or so after the baby's born, and then again maybe like 36 hours or so, and then there's a two-week visit, and then at the four-week mark, she recommends that you take the baby to the pediatrician and the family doctor. And then you have the six-week visit. So it's, it's irritating to me on the one hand because I almost feel like I'm constantly <laughs> going to appointments. But on the other hand, there's always like, I've always had this feeling of like longing for for more support, which is interesting because, you know, there's the feeling of, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go to all these appointments, which I think tells me more than anything that like what I'm longing for and maybe what... Other moms are longing for is not necessarily just a physical checkup, but more, you know, somebody to listen to you, and maybe like you were talking about, maybe somebody who's going to bring you hot meals and listen to you, or bring you hot meal and just clean the kitchen afterwards, or something, you know. So that there's there's more that women need than definitely than we're getting from you know from even what I think is a good model with. With midwives and maybe some obese offices have more comprehensive postpartum care, but there's still something that women need, so I think it's good to have women thinking about this
2: definitely okay what so I had, what, a, I had what a similar kind of, go ahead I had a similar um midwifery model of care where um the you know I had twenty four hours after three days after five days after two weeks, one month, six weeks um in terms of postpartum visits um and in I live in Mexico right now where midwives don't have um privileges at facilities at hospitals or birth centers, and so it's it's home um it's all done at home, and so I think a major difference for me is that I didn't have to go anywhere for the appointment, <laughs> yeah. yeah even that, yeah. In and of itself, made it, you know, something I could look forward to, getting that support and seeing the midwife, but not having to, you know, pack myself up, pack my, get my family ready, you know, getting myself ready and out of the house. I think I, I, I would not have been looking forward to the visits if I had to go somewhere. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we have, in our, in our region, we're fortunate to have, at least for some moms, not all moms are eligible for it, but we have a program in my region where, um, where they alternate like it's a nurse practitioner one visit and then she alternates with a social worker and they come they can come to your house and they do it throughout your pregnancy and then throughout your baby's first year generally about once a month And um, and it was funny because I chose to enroll in the program in my last pregnancy which was my seventh pregnancy and you know you get to be pretty good friends because you're seeing the same nurse and the same social worker and so they were telling me at one of the last visits um, before Sadie turned a year, they were laughing and saying, you know, they joke in the office that Kristen doesn't need any of these visits because, you know, she already knows all this stuff, but I think she just wants somebody to talk to. <laughs> and really that's the truth, you know. It's just you want, you you know, you just want that support and that listening. But um, anyway, so that's just an anecdote of mine. But so what, like when we're thinking like on a social level, What kind of social support systems are there for moms to hook into? Or I guess, you know, the counterpoint to that is if there aren't really anything, what should we be looking at? What benefits moms? Right.
2: Well, I mean, what you just mentioned about even if this is your seventh baby, having someone to talk to, that is a major social support is is having – Someone anyone right one of the things from a mental health research perspective that we know is that isolation is a major risk factor for postpartum depression um, yeah. and so literally not being isolated um, can, can make a big difference even if it's talking to someone over the phone. Um, I think in terms of of systems that that all new moms have available to them um, is really kind of thinking on the back end uh, while still pregnant maybe, but thinking about, well, what mom groups are in my area? Um, or if you qualify yeah. for some programs, thinking about what, what services could I access postpartum? Um, and this is even thinking, you know, if, if you have a perfectly smooth pregnancy, smooth delivery, or having a pretty smooth postpartum, um, you know, these are not like groups to go to in case of emergency. These are just basic pillars yeah. of support, having someone to talk to, <laughs> um, having yeah. other moms who are experiencing something similar, um, having a a community of, of, of a sort um, can be that social support system, kind of at the bare bones level. Um, I think it would be fantastic if every mom had, you know, that, those folks to talk to, key people who they can rely on. Um, doesn't have to be professionals necessarily. Uh, having professionals on top of that is great, um, but having at the at the very least other folks in your community who you can um, touch base with when you need to.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. I like I love the way that you phrase that. You know, just these basic pillars of support, and you know, it's not it's not an in case of emergency use. But yeah, so I mean, that's something. That's a good thought, because like with my last few part of having a huge family is you don't get out quite so much, but with my you know with my first like I went to my local La leche league meeting, and those that that support was really important to me, like not just for nursing really, but for you know just being a mom, so that's yeah, that's really great to think about, and I just like that the way that you said that. Do you think that we, as a society, could build more systems that support new moms and babies? And have you seen, like, in your research or in your work, any models that are particularly successful?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely, you know, <laughs> think that we can definitely build more support systems. I think, as I mentioned before, we're in the U.S. I mean, it's it's just so bare bones and in a lot of places in the world. Um, I would say that there are successful models out there, and most of them revolve around um, about not separating out mom and baby postpartum. Um, like we were talking about earlier, the focus goes to baby so many times. There's a lot of wealth yeah. out of this you got to get to and, and not so much focus on what what does mom need. Um, so at a, a conference I was at last year, we started thinking, okay, well Ken, for those first three months we, um, you know, not separate out, separate out and think newborn care and maternal care, but rather think mom baby as a unit and think about maternal newborn care as you know as a as a hyphenated <laughs> um yeah. rather than separated. Um and so, you know, instead of more visits for a mom to have to make and go to, um, it would be having professionals um co located and having you know, those killing two birds with one stone, so to speak, and having services located and delivered at the same time, that can be really successful. Um, home visits, as you mentioned. Um, right now there's not so much of that going on in the U.S. except for specific um, either state-funded state, state funded or federally funded um, kind of safety net, what's known as safety net systems for either for high-risk women or low-income women where um, someone will come to your home. Um, but in, for example, in a lot of European countries it's you know there's a maternity nurse that shows up regularly um, and it's not you know it's not an extravagant model it's not hugely expensive Um, and it's it's that basic checking in and having you know knowing that someone's going to to be there when you have a question knowing that there's someone you can call um, if something's not going so well Um, and having those people identified and readily available um are what those models have in common.
1: Yeah, and I think I mean like when you're saying that like I know that I've had students who are in like the UK and areas like that and they have like a health visitor who comes around. Whereas like here what I have in this area is I mean it's very unusual. So that's mm-hmm. and that's you know it is true that it would be good to see. And I, like I like what you said about, you know, having that integrated care, like the providers who are together, who are willing to be close together and work together. Like in midwifery, we talk about, well, I, I think about it as the mama baby, which is why I named my birthing class as Mama Baby Birthing, but usually in midwifery circles, mm-hmm. we talk about the mother baby, and it's like it's one word, you know, when you see yep. it in a midwifery journal, it's written mother baby. and And so what you're talking about is like a continuation of that, I guess, that paradigm of not looking at these as two separate beings, but looking at them as an integrated unit, which at least I feel like the mother-baby pair is for for quite a while, even after birth. So it's really interesting how we can think to support that. And I love, I love hearing about y'all brainstorming about that. It's really cool that people are like thinking that way and hopefully affecting social change in that way willing to challenge the way that we've done it like that whole and even I feel like sometimes in obstetrics it's like a mom versus baby and you know we don't want that we don't want that to be a paradigm and you can even see sometimes postpartum like when you're dealing with a mom with postpartum depression where that kind of comes in it's like you know you versus the baby's needs rather than talking about how are we going to meet everybody's
2: needs so right I mean when it comes to outcomes that's one of the things that there's just so many years of research on is we know that the mother's health affects the baby's health outcomes. So why, so why not postpartum continue to <laughs> to serve women so that their their infants and toddlers and you know eventually grown children's health can can also reap the benefits of of great postpartum care.
1: Yeah, and I think I mean I think that's so important for women to realize too is that we know like based on research that that you Feeling good and feeling confident and, you know, as a mother and enjoying good health as a mother impacts your baby's lifelong health. And so, and I think sometimes women feel guilty, like, you know, I'm supposed to focus on the baby and not worry about me. It's all about the baby. But really, just like in pregnancy, you know, I tell pregnant moms, you know, you you taking care of you is taking care of your baby. So it's just, I think it's important for us, for moms to know, women to know, but also like culturally, For us to realize that by taking care of our mothers, we are taking care of our children. So I'm really glad that you
2: pointed that out. Right. And it is, I mean, we're on the same page. And I think we'd be on the same page about it, you know, that it's hard. It can be hard, especially if it's just mom in the house. um, Yeah. In terms of if you're the only adult around to to make sure you're taking care of, which is where that. Social support and those networks of support um, come in and are so crucial. Is that yeah? If, if it's just you trying to you know run the household and take care of the newborn and maybe some older kids and maybe think about going back to work and all the you know it all falls on you. So what? Um, let's what are the networks that you that we need to make sure it's not all falling on one person's shoulders? Um, because yes. Yeah. It's, 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 It can be damn near impossible to take good care of yourself when you are, you know, depleted by taking care of everyone else. So thinking about, well, what, what, yeah, what are the things that I realistically need? What supports do I need to take care of myself um, so that I can do my job as, you know, as as mom?
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think that. I mean that brings up like a great way to pivot here, like from more of this overlook um and overview to like more maybe practical, so like like how can a mom put this plan of support into place, and you know how does she make sure like if like if you were pregnant or I were pregnant right now and you were advising me like Kristen, what should you do step by step, kind of practical? What would that look like for her? And obviously, you said some. It's going to be tapping into the resources in her community, um, and we know that that varies. But like, you know, she's she's really worried. How am I going to take care of all this? Like, what would you give her? Like, as a first step, or maybe maybe an escape hatch that makes her feel like she can breathe.
2: Yeah. Well, I, you know. I- when I was pregnant, I relied really heavily on adapting some of the resources that I had used as a social worker um, and basically had a little workbook for myself, which I'm I'm happy to share. I'll send along the link, and you can just okay. download the workbook. Um, and so those levels, those layers I was talking about earlier, I, I sat down and thought about all of them and thought, okay, you know, at the friends in my immediate area <laughs> level – Who can I call on for things like meal support? And I organized a little meal train. And then I thought about, you know, friends who aren't around but who might be able to provide some some more of the emotional support. I had a friend who gave birth a few months before me, and so I knew, you know, as soon as from during our pregnancy, we knew we'd be relying on each other for, you know, the quick messages, things like that. Um, And then I I had a really strong network. of professional support. I had my midwife and her two assistants and they were really who I relied on, um, for, you know, the physiological side, but also the, the mental health side. Um, but, you know, things that, you know, I was nervous about, but wasn't sure what would happen. Let's say breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. for example. I knew I'd have some support from my midwife, um, and definitely kind of immediate latching and figuring breastfeeding out at, at the appointments. Um, but I thought, well, what if I, you know, what if I need more support than that? So I had, I looked up and found a lactation consultant and just had her number kind of at the ready in case I should need it.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and thought about, well, who, you know, who are the mental health professionals in the area? I don't know how things are going to go, but in case I need someone, um, I'll have the number ready so that I don't have to, you know, in a situation of crisis, be trying to figure all of that out, um, in the thick of things, (laughs) Um, so knowing yeah. what resources are available uh made a huge difference.
1: yeah, I think that's great. That actually reminded me that i like that I always like type out a sheet that has the local elyia leader's waiter's phone number on it before I have a baby, so it's like that same thing you know that's a really I think that's a great idea um yeah, and so that actually brought up a question. Um, like, both when you were talking about lining up friends for a meal train and then, like, also, like, if, you know, who are the mental health professionals that could help. Like I think sometimes what makes moms hesitate is, like, a stigma attached to asking for help or feeling like, okay, well, I'm going to be a burden to this person. But, like, I know, well, my situation was totally, this is totally different. Um, but my mom was in the hospital a couple months ago. I flew to be with her in the hospital, and then I got back, and I have a good friend here, and it just, you know, it was so crazy, and I thought a couple times I should text her and let her know just so she can be praying, if nothing else, and I just didn't get to it because things were so hectic, but when I got back and told her what had happened, she's like, Kristen, why didn't you let me know? I could have at least taken food to your family, you know, because I left my family here, and so it's like, you know, it wouldn't have been, she was happy to have helped, or she would have been happy to help, and so, like, do you think that that's the case? For moms who might worry, well, I can't ask for help because nobody wants to bother with me, and then also on this other level, that maybe, maybe it says that I can't handle it if I have to call somebody. Do you think that that kind of stigma is real
2: for moms? Definitely. I think especially if you're used to, you know, being a highly functioning, capable person, <laughs> it can yeah. be hard to <laughs> imagine yourself in a situation where that's not the case. And it can be really hard to be in that situation. Um, and the best piece of um, advice that I have there that I'm definitely working on myself is to really build your compassion muscle. So you know, think about if this were anyone other than myself, um, would would I be as hard on them as I'm being on myself? You know, yeah. would I like your friend reached out and and you know, told you what she would have done had you asked, um, and you probably would have done the same for anyone else. So if we yeah. kind of remove that judgment of ourselves from the from the picture and we're able to think about it from a new perspective and think, okay, this was a friend, you know, what what would I offer to that friend? And then treating ourselves with, with as much compassion and kindness as we would do for, for anyone else.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I love that. That's great, being compassionate towards yourself. And that's good, and I like that, too, because you spin it around and you're like, well, of course I'd take her a meal or of course I'd watch her kids or, you know, whatever. So then that makes it, well, then she'd probably want to do the same for me. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so you touched on baby blues a little bit, and we know that we know that a lot of new moms struggle with feelings of depression, anxiety, that isolation, which we talked about a little bit. But what what would we consider, like, normal as far as baby blues? Like, any, a little bit? When do we know that it's too much? Where Where do you suggest that a mom, like, start thinking about reaching out, maybe, or just taking care of herself if she's experiencing that? Yeah. Well,
2: things like, I mean... Things like crying are gonna happen, right? (laughs) Um, And I'm talking about mom crying, not baby crying. Or in addition to baby crying, yeah, (laughs) baby crying. Crying um, is, you know, not crying in and of itself is not like, oh my gosh, I'm I might be having a mental health problem here. Um, I would say things that impair anything that impairs your ability to um, to take basic care of your needs or your baby's needs so if you all of a sudden are finding you know i i'm going a week without showering um or i'm not feeling you know i'm not really feeling confident or able to to feed my child um things that really are are about basic survival um and which can be thoughts if your thoughts are so overwhelming that you're not able to think clearly yeah. Um, then that is definitely a time to to reach out and contact someone, and um, you know reaching out for help doesn't mean that you are going to have some kind of diagnosis and you're going to have to you know go on medication and get treatment and you know the catastrophizing that that we can do. It just means you're going to get screened like it means you're going to figure out like what what is causing some of these um, some of some of the issues and and do I need to get help right? Um, So that basic step um, in terms of reaching out, getting screened, um, and even reaching out and talking to someone. Postpartum Support International has a great warm line that I always recommend, um, which is just a place where you can call in. It's, you know, warm line, different than a hotline in terms of you're calling in to get basic information and support resources if you need them, right? It's not in case of emergency. It's in case you need to reach out, which sometimes we all do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, cool, and that's actually what I was going to ask next, was where where can a mom reach out if she's feeling overwhelmed? So that's a really great resource to know about. I'll definitely include that in the show notes, and I actually might should make sure that I have that featured in a couple places on my website.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Um, and locally there might be something. I mean, that's you can call in from anywhere, um, but locally there might be um, also local support groups that you could reach out to. Um, And, of course, for screening, um, you can either go through your own provider um, and ask for a referral to a mental health professional, um, or you could reach directly out to a mental health professional. And, you know, in the case of postpartum mental health issues, I really think, um, you know, not all mental health professionals have expertise in maternal health. Um, So looking for someone who either is trained in PPD support or has, um, kind of maternal health written anywhere in their bio, those are good um good signs that that you'd be going to to someone who can support you during this particular period of life.
1: Cool. okay, yeah, that's good to know too. okay, so what what do you think is the best piece of advice that you could give to a woman as she prepares for her life with a new baby?
2: I would say find a way to get comfortable and also feel confident with the unknown <laughs> because so much is unknown and even even the best of planners um I'm thinking of myself right now even the best of planners like there's no there's just no way to plan for the unknown except knowing that there's going to be uncertainty right yeah um yeah so knowing that that's not um but that's not a problem that has to be solved. The not knowing, but the not knowing is really kind of the crux of what this time of life is about. Um, and that knowing that knowing that something is foreign to you and new to you, and and that you're going to be uncertain and not know what to do, means that you can learn. Right? You can set yourself up to yeah. um, to learn how to navigate those situations um, when you again. Have a little compassion for yourself. Have some good resources um, and have that mentality of there's going to be unknown.
1: Well, I really like that. I really like that. Okay, Ariana, can you tell us where we can find out a little bit more about you or what resources you might have or what you're
2: doing? Sure. So I, I'd love to share that um, postpartum workbook. We'll call it. Um, with everyone, and I will send you along the link for for that. It's a longer link, um, but it's on my website, which is just my first name and last name, ArianaTabuada.com. Um, and I, you know, I do some writing there. I blog, and via emails, if anyone ever wants to reach out, I'm happy to chat.
1: Cool, cool. Well, thank you so much, Ariana. I've really appreciated you being here.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Kristen.
1: Yeah, and I think actually just for you ladies who are wondering, Ariana also has, uh, has done quite a bit of work on the transition from becoming mom to going back to work. So I think that we're going to hopefully have her in a few weeks back on the podcast to talk about that. But I really felt like this was just such an important topic to cover and really give a full episode, to. So, again, thank you, Ariana, and we will look forward to having you back again.
0: Sounds good. Once again, I just want to thank Ariana for being on the show, for the great practical advice that she shared, and also for that passion and that vision for helping moms at this crucial transition. Like she said, mother's well-being is tied to lifelong health for babies. So this is definitely something that I feel like we should be thinking about for ourselves in a practical sense. And also how do we, you know, how do we help make things better for moms and babies all over? If you check the show notes, I'm definitely going to include a link to Ariana's workbook so that you can grab that, go through that, feel like you're more prepared and ready for your baby to come. Um, And remember, like Ariana said, you can totally set yourself up to learn how to navigate this transition. And I wish you the very best as you do that. Remember, if you have a minute, take a second, leave a rating in iTunes or on Google or over on Stitcher. That helps other people find out about the podcast. That's a big part of my mission is bringing all these guests on and even on my monologue episodes, just kind of creating change. And I want to start at the grassroots level, which means mom to mom, family to family, and I need your help to do that. Your ratings help more families find this, and so many of you share that you have told somebody about this word of mouth, and I really appreciate that. Any way that you can help me get the podcast out. I appreciate. I'm totally open to hearing your comments and your feedback. I'm totally open to hearing ways that I can improve or what you would like me to cover on the podcast. I look forward to all of it. I hope that you have a blessed day today and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.